This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. I'd like to start off by wishing everybody a happy 2016. Mr. McMillan and I are not sure whether we will be with you on a weekly basis. In fact, we're pretty sure we will not be here at KDVS, but our public affairs director, Aaron Frankel, is going to try and work with us, and maybe Graham Smith can chip in, and perhaps we will come to you on a semi-weekly basis. Frankly, we're just not sure. Believe you me, we have enjoyed our 13 and a half year stay here, but commitments are just piling up, and it's going to be very hard to continue on as we have for the last decade plus. That said, we anticipate bringing you, uh, on a semi-regular basis, some very interesting people we've been talking about for months, if not years. David Talbot will be speaking with us soon. And if all goes well, we will bring him to you on next week's program. After that, we're just not sure. But uh, let's have some fun for today's program, shall we? We did receive some mild criticism from some old family friends last week about uh, our skipping of the good, the bad, and the ugly on last week's show to make time for that wonderful anecdote from Mark Evanier. So today we're going to do, well, more than one installment of that. Let us begin the program as we like to do with On This Date in History, which of course is the 31st of December. Be advised it was on December 31st in 1904 when for the first time a light descended from a pole in New York City's Times Square to mark the beginning of the new year. And 25 years later, in 1929, Guy Lombardo and his Royal Canadians played Old Lang Syne as a New Year's Eve song for the first time at the Hotel Roosevelt Grill, also in New York City. I think we know what our bumper music is going to be for this segment. And no, I don't mean the barking dogs. You've got to find Guy Lombardo's version of Old Lang Syne, Mr. McMillan. Sad day, in my opinion, in California history. On this date in 1965, California officially became the largest state in the United States in terms of population. We are now far and away the most populous state in the Union, and if real estate developers get that way, we're going to be crowded cheek by jowl from Bakersfield to Redding. And by the way, this prompts me on the spur of the moment. I was contemplating who we would name as our jackass of the year for 2015. I've decided right now that we're going to award that to both Angelo Sakopoulos and Phil Angelides. For their development of the McVillage Project in East Sacramento, we're just going to do nobody any favors, especially the knuckleheads dumb enough to buy a house in that future development. First, I do want to add that that opinion, like everyone that you ever hear on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. At any rate, moving right along, on December 31st in 1978, the U.S. ends official relations with nationalist China and officially recognized the government of the People's Republic of China in Beijing the next day. The friendly relationship between the Wall Street interests that promoted this change and the Communist Party in China continues to this day. And on that matter, to quote our local sage Ivo Kovacevic, who himself grew up in Yugoslavia, there's no difference between Republicans and Communists. 
By the way, our interview with Evo, which I think we had more than one, along with all of the interviews we've ever had on this program, can pretty much be accessed on our website, radioparallax.com. Today's show number 706 and all but something like the first 40 or 50 are available to you. We hope you will utilize this resource if you are jonesing for Radio Parallax in the weeks to come. Our quote of the day comes from George Orwell, who once said, Political language is designed to make lies sound truthful and murder respectable, and to give an appearance of solidity to pure wind. And we believe that type of political language is not necessarily confined to Republicans and communists. Our quote of the day comes from Mark Twain, who said, Never argue with an idiot, because bystanders don't know who the idiot is. Our joke of the day is a rather long one, but it I think it's worth going over. This comes from a Facebook posting by Jackson Griffith, local writer, sometimes seen in the Sacramento News and Review. He's also a musician. But we are indebted to him for his reference of this old Wikipedia entry describing Thin Lizzy's The Boys Are Back in Town. Noted Wikipedia. The lyrics follow a group of wild-eyed boys who have just returned to town after having been away from town. The song begins with the boys having returned that very day to the place that they once were, but hadn't been for some time. Upon returning to the titular town, the eponymous boys ask the whereabouts of an unknown figure, possibly the audience, which the narrator designates as you. Soon the boys discover that this you has been busy downtown driving the old men crazy. The old men are an undefined group, but are separated distinctly from the boys on account of being old, not boys, and presumably having stayed in town. The narrator's interest then turns to a chick remembered from an old party. This unnamed woman was apparently notable for her dancing. The narrator recounts an incident that occurred at Johnny's place where the woman who loved to dance slapped Johnny in his face, presumably for not appreciating her dancing or perhaps appreciating it too much. These verses seem to be unrelated to the return of the boys. The next Friday night, the boys will be heading down to Dino's Bar and Grill. The narrator is predicting heavy drinking and violence, but cautions the listener against interfering. Reportedly, the jukebox in the corner of the bar and grill will be playing the favorite song of the narrator. The song ends with the narrator lamenting that the nights are getting warmer, and soon summer will return, like the boys themselves have returned. It's the end of the year, so let's take a look back at numerous stats from 2015. According to the Pew Research Center, the average size in an American home is ballooning. The average at U.S. home size in 2012 was 1,864 square feet. Newly built single-family homes in the meantime now average 2,657 square feet. What happened to this small house movement? How about the figure of 57%? That's the percent of American adults unable to pass a basic five-question financial decision-making test, according to a study conducted by the World Bank, Gallup, and George Washington University. For keeping score, that puts the U.S. 14th in the world for financial literacy. And uh, looking back at uh, 2015, it turned out that only January and April did not break the global monthly temperature records according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. All of the other previous months were the hottest since records began in 1880, 
paving the way for 2015 to be the hottest documented year on Earth. It appears the Americans who accept that global warming is real are not too optimistic about um, who's going to fix it. Well, at least based on these stats, turns out 50% of Americans disapprove of the Supreme Court's recent actions, 86% have an unfavorable opinion of Congress, and 55% think ordinary Americans could do a better job of dealing with the nation's woes than our current elected officials, which is probably true. But here's the one I like best. When they polled Pennsylvanians, 50% of them said they would rather be represented by the groundhog Puxatawney Phil than by their current member of Congress. Yes, when you're preferring a rodent to a member of Congress, you know things have gotten bad. All right, we like to do good news items in the show, and let's, let's do a bunch of them. Well, there's a lot of good news if you want to take a look at some health studies. The good people at Stanford studied nature walks and found that they can make you healthier and happier. And a separate study of roughly 2,600 fourth graders in Barcelona found that those with greater exposure to nature were more attentive and experienced a 5% increase in working memory. Meanwhile, across the Bay, researchers at UC Berkeley studied people having awe-inspiring experiences like gazing out over the Grand Canyon and found that feelings of awe and wonder were associated with lower levels of cytokines, which are pro-inflammatory proteins that can stress your immune system. The study's authors noted that while negative emotions are reliably associated with poor health, only recently has research begun to acknowledge the important role of positive emotions. Well, it's about time, fellas and gals. And taking a daily aspirin is probably a good idea if you either have cardiovascular disease or a risk of colon cancer. People in their 50s with at least a 10% risk of developing cardiovascular disease are now recommended to take a low dose of aspirin to protect against heart attacks and also colorectal cancer. It's something we've been beating the drum on in this show for years, sleep, getting some good sleep. Well, it seems like a no-brainer, but researchers have taken a look at it and decided that, well, among other things, it may help ward off Alzheimer's disease. Studies are showing that people who are fitful sleepers may develop Alzheimer's 10 years earlier than people who sleep soundly. Another good news, the U.S. abortion rate fell 35% between 1990 and 2010 and is now at the lowest rate since records began in 1976. Researchers credit the increased use of IUDs and other highly effective contraception as a major factor in the decline. We would like to imagine that the evil machinations of the pro-life people are not playing a major role in that statistic because, well, they're probably not. Although the unfortunate shooting at that abortion clinic where the guy claimed that, uh, well, he was trying to make sure there'd be no more baby parts sold thanks to the propaganda of Carly Fiorina and others. Well, all that prompts me to look back at 2015 through the eyes of Tom Tomorrow at This Modern World. This Modern World often summarizes things better than just about anybody else. I'm just going to cherry pick a few items. One panel shows a couple dates. November 27th. Conservatives shrug off another white guy gun rampage. An angry white guy is stating, nothing can be done. Juxtaposed against December 2nd. Conservatives are very alarmed by Muslim gun rampage. The same white guy is voicing, something must be done. And like his October 2nd panel, Jeb blurs line between reality and satirical cartoons, responds to latest mass shootings with, stuff happens. Notes Tom tomorrow, seriously. This is what he said. How about September 18th? Carly Fiorina denounces imaginary Planned Parenthood video. 
voice bubble. And then they take baby brains and feed them to zombies. I've seen the footage. October 28th, Mike Huckabee offers his version of healthcare reform. Let's cure diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and Alzheimer's. Tom Tomorrow notes, Grateful Nation wonders why no one thought of this before. And the December 15th item, Ted Cruz explains his plan to defeat ISIS. We need to focus on killing the bad guys. And again, Grateful Nation wonders why no one thought of this before. And finally, his panel for October 13th. Hillary Clinton says Edward Snowden should have stayed in U.S. as whistleblower. Voice Bubble says, then we could have ignored his revelations and prosecuted him. The system works. All right, we've done our quote, our quip, our joke, our good news, our stats. What's left? The anecdote. Well, we're not sure it really counts as an anecdote, but it does turn out that the most hated man in America, Martin Shkreli, the biotech entrepreneur who bought the American marketing rights for Daraprim, still the only drug we have to treat toxoplasmosis, and raised the price from $13 a pill to $750, has now gone to jail for a fraud related to his management of a hedge fund. While we might classify this as an anecdote, we would also say it's good news. We hope he finds himself in a cell with a guy who's got toxoplasmosis. But here's an anecdote we have to like coming out of Fresno. Apparently, Mr. Robert Wright of Fresno was barbecuing ribs to satisfy some late-night hunger pains when he noticed that his neighbor's apartment was on fire. Wright evidently carried his children out of the building, but then ran back to rescue his juicy rack of ribs. (laughs) Wright explained, I didn't want my ribs to burn because I take pride in what I do, man. Mr. Whelan notes approval over the fact that he did choose to rescue the children first. At this point, I think we must jump into what is perennially one of our favorite parts of the program, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Over the years, we have extracted the vast majority of these items from The Week magazine, to which we are deeply indebted. Of course, we do add that like any good public affairs program, we do this with attribution, as we do now when we note that according to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for buying fresh air with the news that the smog has gotten so bad in Beijing that people are buying air bottled in the Canadian Rocky Mountains. A Canadian company, a Canadian company, Vitally Air, says it sold out its first batch of bottled air in four days and is now ramping up production to meet the Chinese demand. Founder Moses Lamb, and as far as we know, that's his real name, says he started the company as a joke, but then discovered an actual market for his product. Noting, in North America, we take our fresh air for granted, but in China, the situation is very different. We would note with some sadness that it was a bad week last week for military preparedness. After the U.S. Navy's newest warship, the $437 million USS Milwaukee, had to be towed back to port due to a complete loss of propulsion just 20 days into its maiden voyage. And it was an ugly week last week for putting on the dog, or is it respecting the royal dog, with the news from Thailand that a Thai factory worker is facing up to 37 years in prison for allegedly insulting the king's dog. 
Thanacorn Siripaiboon was arrested for making a sarcastic internet post about Tong Dying, a shelter dog adopted by King Bumibol Aduladej in 1998. The animal is apparently known nationally for her loyalty and obedience. And an animated film about the dog, Kun Togadang, The Inspirations, is currently number two at the Thai box office. Now, arrests and long prison sentences for insulting royalty have increased dramatically since the military took power in a coup last year, but including insults to royal pets is a new twist to all of this. Curiously, the military has refused to publicize what exactly Thanacorn said about Tong Dying, whose lawyers said, I never imagined they would use the law for the royal dog. It's nonsense. All right, Ms. Mellon, now you can do it. All right, we promised on last week's show we might, might take two runs of the good and the bad and the ugly, so let's go for round two. Also, according to The Week magazine, it was a good week this week for political correctness or perhaps social justice warriors, as one of my fellow KDVSers uh, likes to say. At any rate, the story is this. A Maryland middle school student is facing assault charges for kissing a female classmate. Police say the 13-year-old boy pulled the girl toward him and kissed her on a dare from other classmates. Now, while we might agree... In, on this program that that might have been a little out of line, but the unidentified eighth grader was arrested and charged with second-degree assault. He also faces either suspension or expulsion from his middle school. We ask in this case, does that punishment fit the crime? Well, on the other hand, a bad week last week for relatively recent social trends with the news that, at least according to analysis by Mashable.com, more people died worldwide this year from while taking selfies than were killed in shark attacks. The score stands at selfies 12, sharks 8. And it was an ugly week a couple weeks back for good intentions with the news that Doritos apparently launched a limited edition of rainbow chips as part of a campaign to combat suicides among LGBT teens. This sparked a backlash. Critics declared a boycott of all Doritos, while conservative pundit Ed Straker called the chips a, quote, gateway snack, unquote, designed to entice children into becoming gay. Now, we here at Radio Parallax do not profess to be experts in this area, but we are unaware throughout all of history of any gateway snacks designed to entice people to become gay. This did not stop Mr. Straker from posing the question, what business does Doritos owner PepsiCo have of pushing homosexuality on our kids? Well, we would just echo the voice of Doritos in this and say, eat all you want, we'll make more. Of course, we do hasten to add as a non-commercial station that the listener should not take this as an endorsement of Doritos, rainbow flavor or otherwise. You know what? I think we should take a third, third round of this, good, bad, and the ugly. An unprecedented development, to be sure, but what the heck. All right, we would note that it was a good week last week for bigoted fools, with the news that a group of Wisconsin parents claim that a school book about an Afghan girl's fight against Taliban is indoctrinating their kids into Islam. Nazreen's secret school tells the true story of a girl who defied the Taliban by going to school. But parents object to a passage describing her praying to Allah said District PTA President Sherry Keene, these things shouldn't be brought up. 
And it's evidently a bad week for scientific literacy. This one comes from The Economist. With the news that Jeremy Corbyn, new leader of the UK's Labour Party, has raised eyebrows across the pond by appearing to support homeopathy despite a lack of scientific proof that it works. In a tweet dating back to 2011, Corbyn said he believed that homeopathy works for some people and compliments conventional medicine because, quote, they both come from organic matter, unquote. Sure, to say nothing of the fact that they're both based on molecules. Actually, we're not sure homeopathy is based on molecules. On our first pass at looking at the back of the envelope calculations, we think the amazing Randy is correct when he stated that a 10 to the 33rd power dilution would represent the equivalent of taking pills and expanding them out to the orbit of Pluto. Yes, filling all the space out to Pluto. To which we say... And finally, it surely has to be considered an ugly week for big data with the news that the Ted Cruz campaign has hired Cambridge Analytics, a data analysis company, to profile and target potential supporters based on data about what people buy and eat and Facebook likes. The campaign is using different wording in email appeals based on the psychological profile and policy priorities of the recipient, according to the Washington Post. All right, we have a whole mess of miscellaneous items I want to just plow through. So I think I'll take a break at this point. Remind you that you are listening to Radio Parallax. Cite the fact that I am Douglas Everett. And we'll just cue up a little bit of Guy Lombardo and be back in a minute or two. Stick around. 